My name is Richard Henry, and you're listening to the COVID-19 Challenge podcast. Welcome to my first podcast on BeverStreet.com. I'm Richard Henry. I'm a anesthesiologist practicing in Ontario, Canada. This first podcast I've called the COVID-19 challenge in that uh, this viral pandemic is challenging us in so many different ways. And in terms of this podcast, is, is challenging our knowledge of uh, virology, biology and human health uh, in ways that um, we haven't seen before. I am planning to do a series of podcasts over the next year or two, looking at systems in biology and systems in health um, and how by using a systems approach we can understand disease better and actually um, using the things that we have to improve our health by preventing uh, what I would call maladaption. So many of the things that we are struggling with in, in our health systems a human adaptive process to the lives we live and the maladaption is then treated as a disease and as a deficiency of a pharmaceutical agent which is really not necessarily going to be either very effective in the outcome um, or, or very productive in, in the long run. As I said, I'm an anesthesiologist. I've been involved in uh, teaching anesthesia uh, as well as doing chronic pain. And I first started really trying to understand chronic pain from a, an old-fashioned approach, finding the one missing link, the one receptor, the one system, the one um, component that was wrong and then fixing it with, with a drug or, or an intervention. And as I dug deeper and deeper, I found that chronic pain was actually part of a systemic disease that was um, really quite easy to understand and, and easy to accept as to why we had chronic pain. Then the next step was to build interventions around this uh, and ways of understanding that could predict who would get it, why, and, and how to get them out of it. Then along came COVID, and COVID uh, is, a, is a virus that affects one protein in our body, uh, which is a vital part of a different system from chronic pain, but has, has a very profound effect on our health. Over a year ago, when the virus first broke out, I predicted that we would run into trouble because of the protein that this virus was targeting, and it's turned out exactly as I predicted. So today we're going to go through... Um, the basics of virology, what is a virus and how does it affect us. And because it's a piece of genetic code, we're going to look at what, it, what genetic code is and what proteins are and what controls them. And then we look at the three major parts of uh, interaction with humans, which is spread between human to human, what this virus does once it's inside us and how it replicates itself and the effect it has on us. And thirdly, the strategies that humans have developed or all animals have developed to defend themselves against viruses. And then it's, it's those interactions of the virus doing its business requirement to defend ourselves against the virus that ends up causing disease and in, in some cases actually causes death. At times during the talk, I'm going to use um, analogies that you can relate to. And being that it's 2021, I'll be using a lot of com computer analogies um, and how computers work and relating that to how, how the human body works and how proteins work. Quick update on the virus. It's a, it's an, a new version of an old virus called the coronavirus. And uh, coronaviruses have been around for a very long time and are widely endemic in the animal populations of the world. Humans have four different uh, subspecies that we've learned to live with, and they generally cause colds in humans, something that we just call a cold, where you get a runny nose and a bit of a cough and a fever for a day or two, and then you pass it on to your people around you, you get better, 
and so the virus keeps on spreading but never really causes severe harm uh, in people. Uh, it's been so endemic in us that in fact a lot of us go to work when we have a cold, um, although that's not going to be happening for the next little while. Um, we don't even make uh, prolonged immunity to the virus. Uh, it cre we create immune response, we kill the virus, and within a year or so we've actually forgotten we had the virus, and when the virus comes back we're still susceptible. But it doesn't really matter because it doesn't cause severe disease. Coronaviruses animals on the contrary can cause severe disease, and particularly on uh, um, farm animals. So these are obviously were once wild but are now caged and and uh, live a very different lifestyle to wild animals. And this has made uh, those animals susceptible to coronaviruses and probably uh, increased spread amongst them because they live in such close quarters. So in fact, this really replicates what's happened to humans. We've also become domesticated. Uh, we also live in very close quarters. We also don't run wild. We don't exercise much. Yes, we do live longer, as do domestic animals, um, but we have some very strong um, alterations in our, in our physical systems that are both uh, that are adaptive to our new lifestyle and our new way of living. When that happens, there are going to be different diseases and different uh, responses to infections, as would happen in, in a wild-type creature. And this is what the COVID virus has done. It's literally created, it's challenging uh, those of us who are, are now adapted to a sedentary lifestyle and adapted to a um, lifestyle in which we are essentially farm animals where we fed and watered and kept warm and moved very little. So a virus is a piece of genetic code but it's unable to do anything itself. This code is wrapped up in, a, in an envelope which allows it to, to be transported from cell to cell or from person to person. DNA, the code itself is very very fragile and it doesn't last long outside of, a, outside of the protection of a cell and so although there are fragments of genetic code that do spread between cells in the body. For that code to survive outside the body, it needs to be coded. And it's this, this coding that then creates what we call a virion or a virus. And that this little piece of code can survive outside of a body, go, go into another body, reinsert itself into a cell, replicate itself, and, and move on. Viruses have been around since the beginning of life, and in fact are very important in terms of sharing genetic material. So let's go back. What is genetic material? Um, all life consists of proteins, and proteins are, although they're ribbons of amino acids strung together, they're, 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 it's the way they're folded that, that is, is critical to their function. So it's a three-dimensional blob of amino acids um, that are folded on themselves in a very particular way, and then different parts of the amino acids can be attracted to other parts by inserting uh, electrically charged ions such as magnesium or calcium. You can also insert an uh, energy molecule called ATP, which will then cause two, two amino acids in that protein to be attracted to each other or, or to repel each other, which then changes the shape of the protein. And really, life is just a series of proteins that are changing shape. Uh, and in doing so, they create a reaction which then creates a downstream reaction uh, and, and on and on and on. And this has been going on for billions of years, literally proteins that change shape. In order for life to continue, that protein needs to replicate because it gets old and worn out and damaged. Uh, and so the cell needs to continue to renew itself. And then in higher forms of life, the cell actually um, doesn't just replicate itself, but it replicates uh, the whole body. And that's where we get uh, procreation. Um, 
and uh, that DNA material is passed on into a whole new body uh, which starts fresh. The, the code is the same and is passed on as faithfully as possible. So coding is, is, is different, different types of molecules uh, and which, in which um, three or four of them strung together will cause an amino acid to bind to it depending on the sequence. So there's 20 odd amino acids and there's uh, 50 odd codes and so um, by laying out this code uh, in a long line through a, a, a coding machine, as that code comes up um, into, the, into the slot in the machine, an amino acid will be attracted to bind to it, and uh, then the code moves on, another amino acid comes, and so you keep on adding amino acids in the sequence according to the code. As it's read, those amino acids are joined together um, through an oxidative reaction, and uh, then form a, form a protein. Um, proteins are then taken off and folded uh, in a very uh, special part of the cell and then exported where they take up their position and do their job. The genes we have are the ones that we've inherited and that's our DNA library that we keep locked up in a nucleus in our cell. And then as that cell is, um, requires to make proteins, it will um, send an activator into the nucleus, uh, call up a couple of copies of, of uh, different pages of the, of the genes that are required, uh, and that's called messenger RNA, that RNA comes out and the, the proteins are printed off uh, until the, uh, su the supply or the demand is, is satisfied by supply and then that, that uh, RNA is discarded and um, the cell keeps on functioning. The key to epigenetics is knowing that each cell is able to switch on certain genes uh, within it depending on what that cell is meant to do. So although cells have the full DNA library, they only have access to those proteins, uh, recipes in which they're required to use. Um, when they're activated to make that protein, they do so, and the cell then becomes a function of the proteins that it's made. Some of these cells will export proteins, uh, and that's where they secrete proteins, and, and that's their job. They are, they are net exporters. So having your DNA depicts the exact recipes for the proteins, and they have minor differences. Uh, somebody with blue eyes uh, versus somebody with brown eyes has a slightly different uh, pigment protein in their, in, in, their, um, in their eye, and so one is blue and one's brown. Um, they still still work the same. They're just subtle differences, so it's still, it's still a human protein with a subtle difference. Um, the other difference between humans is epigenetic, and it's which genes are you using, uh, which genes are you switching on, when and how, and, and, and to what extent. So if you want to be a weightlifter, uh, your muscles are going to make themselves into a certain type of, of uh, uh, phenotypic type of muscle, which is very good at picking up heavy weights, but maybe not so good at swinging a golf club accurately or running for, for, for miles on end. Um, and so it's how we put ourselves together through the, through the genes that we use. Now a virus is a um, little piece of code that spreads, spreads between the body or between cells. And in order to survive from one cell to the next, uh, that code needs to be coded and protected. And um, again, it's, a, it's not a living piece of code. And it needs to enter a cell and, and then um, use the machinery just as any other piece of RNA would use that, that cell machinery to make proteins. Only this time that those RNA codes are to make viral proteins, which then are used to assemble the virus, coat the, coat the, the RNA that is also replicated, and then gain uh, ex, um, exit from the cell and spread onto the new one. Life has always used RNA as uh, export little pieces of RNA from cell to cell as a messenger system. 
and somewhere along the line, these viruses became sort of quasi-independent um, and didn't really seem to have much of a function that we can recognize uh, other than for them to survive and, uh, and pass on host to host. There are three parts to the life cycle of a, of a virus that are really important for us to understand. One is that, that spread between humans uh, or between, between hosts. Um, how does that virus exit the host? Uh, what vehicle does it use to get into the next one? Um, so you can get anything from a cold virus, which when you cough, you spread the virus to the next person, to something like a rabies virus, which requires the virus to be, to be actually injected into somebody. Uh, and to do that uh, would require actually that, you, that person to be bitten so that the skin is broken and the virus penetrates through the skin. Um, and that's why rabies is acquired from being bitten by an animal who has the virus in, in their sputum. Um, so that, that spread of the virus um, is, um, is a whole um, branch of, of medical science um, and is, is um, studied quite widely, widely and thoroughly for each virus in order for us to a, understand how the virus spreads and then how to stop that spread, how to intervene and prevent uh, that virus from, from spreading excessively or even at all. The other part of, of the viral lifestyle is the host response, and all living cells are infected by viruses, including plants and, and bacteria, and uh, all have to have a mechanism or a, or a um, strategy in order to prevent that virus from living there uh, eternally and reproducing itself eternally, otherwise the cell would become exhausted and die. Uh, and in fact, that's what often happens. Um, and so we have an, uh, immune systems that um, work on, on prevention of viral entry, uh, such as, as, as creating barriers like our skin. Uh, we then also can create mucus barriers where we, we secrete proteins uh, that will uh, bind to all viruses that, that come near us and try and, try and um, immobilize them. And then once the viruses gain cell entry, uh, we also have an innate cellular immune response that will create uh, proteins that will bind to these foreign viral proteins, no matter what kind of virus they are, and, uh, and, and switch them off and immobilize them. So really life is about moving proteins and, and interlife actions are about my proteins reacting with, with your proteins. Mm -hmm.